0: Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, through chapter 12, verse 16. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed goodly in thy sight. Burkett notes. In these verses, our Savior glorifies his Father for the wise and free dispensation of his gospel grace to the meanest and most ignorant, while the great and learned men of the world undervalued and despised it. By wise and prudent, Christ means worldly wise men, particularly scribes and Pharisees, from whom God in judgment did hide the mysteries of the gospel and said, ye shall not see, because they had closed their eyes and said, we will not see. By babes, understand, such as are at the greatest distance in natural consideration from a capacity for such rich and heavenly manifestations. By hiding these things from the wise and prudent, we are not to understand God's putting darkness into them, but his leaving them to their own darkness, or denying them that light which they had no desire to see plainly intimating that God judicially hides the mysteries of heavenly wisdom from worldly wise men. Learn, one, that till God reveals himself, his nature and will, no man can know either what he is or what he requires. Thou hast revealed. Two, that the wise men of the world have in all ages despised the mysteries of the gospel, and therefore have been judicially given up by God to their own willful blindness. Thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. Three, that the most ignorant and most humble, not the most learned, if proud, to stand ready to receive and embrace the gospel revelation, Thou hast revealed them unto babes. Four, this is no less pleasing to Christ than it is the pleasure of the Father. Even so, Father, for so it seemeth good in thy sight. As if Christ had said, Father, thy election and choice pleases me, as being the choice and good pleasure of thy wisdom. Verse 27. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Burkett notes. In this verse, our Savior opens his commission and declares, one, his authority, that all power is committed to him as mediator from God the Father, to his office, to reveal his Father's mind and will to a lost world. No man knoweth the Father but the Son. That is, the essence and nature of the Father, the will and counsel of the Father, only as the Son reveals them. Learn that all our saving knowledge of God is in and through Jesus Christ. He, as the great prophet of the church, reveals the mind and will of God unto us for our salvation, and no saving knowledge without him. Verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Burkett notes. Here we have a sweet invitation, backed with a gracious encouragement. Christ invites such as are weary of the burden of sin, of the slavery of Satan, of the yoke of the ceremonial law, to come unto him for rest and ease, and as an encouragement assures them, that upon their coming to him they shall find rest. Learn, one, that sin is the soul's laborious burden. Come unto me, all ye that labor. Laboring supposes a burden to be labored under. This burden is sin's guilt. Two, that such as come to Christ for rest must be laden sinners. Three, That laden sinners not only may, but ought to come to Christ for rest. That they may come because invited. They ought to come because commanded. For that the laden sinner upon his coming shall find rest. Come, etc. Note here that to come to Christ in the phrase of the New Testament is to believe in him and to become one of his disciples. John 6.35 He that cometh unto me shall not hunger. He that believeth on me shall not thirst. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Burkett notes. Here note that the phrase of take the yoke is judicial. The Jewish doctors speak frequently of the yoke of the law, the yoke of the commandments. And the ceremonies imposed upon the Jews are called a yoke. Acts 15.10 Now as Moses had a yoke, so has Christ. And accordingly observed one, Christ's disciples must wear Christ's yoke. This yoke is twofold. A yoke of instruction and a yoke of affliction. Christ's law is a yoke of instruction. It restrains our natural inclinations. It curbs our sensual appetites. It is a yoke to corrupt nature. This yoke Christ calls his yoke. Take my yoke upon you. One, because he, as a Lord, lays it upon our necks. Two, because he, as a servant, bore it upon his own neck first, before he laid it upon ours. Observe, too, that the way and manner how to bear Christ's yoke must be learnt of Christ himself. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. That is, learn of me both what I bear and how I bear. Observe three, that Christ's humility and lowly-mindedness is a great encouragement to Christians to come unto him and to learn of him, both how to obey his commands and how to suffer his will and pleasure. Learn of me, for I am meek. Verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Burkett notes, observe here, one, Christ's authority and greatness. He has the power to impose a yoke and inflict a burden. My yoke, my burden. Two, his clemency and goodness in imposing an easy yoke and a light burden. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That is, my service is good and gainful, profitable and useful, not only tolerable, but delightful. And as my yoke, such is my burden, the burden of my precepts, the burden of my cross. Both light not absolutely, but comparatively. The weight of my cross is not comparable with the glory of my crown. Learn that the service of Christ, though hard and intolerable to corrupt nature, yet is a most desirable and delightful service to grace or renewed nature. Christ's service is easy to a spiritual mind. One, that it is easy as it is a rational service, consonant to right reason, though contradictory to depraved nature. Two, easy as it's a spiritual service, delightful to a spiritual mind. Three, easy as it's an assisted service, considering that we work not in our own strength, but in God's. Four, easy when once it is an accustomed service, though hard to beginners, it's easy to professors, The farther we walk, the sweeter is our way. 5. Easy, as it is the most gainful service, having the assurance of an eternal weight of glory as the reward of our obedience. Well, therefore, might our Holy Lord say to his followers, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Chapter 12. Burkett notes, Our blessed Savior in this chapter takes occasion to instruct his disciples in the doctrine of the Sabbath, showing that works of necessity and mercy may be performed upon that day without any violation of the divine command. Verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were a-hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. Burkett notes, Observe here, the poor estate and low condition of Christ's own disciples in this world. They wanted bread and are forced to pluck the ears of corn to satisfy their hunger and to taste of want for the trial of their faith and dependence upon his power and providence. Verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Burkett notes. Observe here one the persons finding fault with the actions of the disciples, the Pharisee, many of whom accompanied our Savior, not out of any good intentions, but only with a design to cavil at and quarrel with everything that either Christ or his disciples said or did. Observe too, the actions which they found fault with, the disciples plucking off the ears of corn on the Sabbath day, where note it is not a theft which the disciples are accused of by the Pharisee, for to take in our necessity so much of our neighbor's goods as we may reasonably suppose that, if he were present and knew our circumstances, he would give us, is no theft. But it was a servile labor on the Sabbath, in gathering the corn, that the Pharisee scrupled. Plucking the ears was looked upon as a sort of reaping. Learn thence how zealous hypocrites are for the lesser things of the law, while they neglect the weightier, and how superstitiously addicted to the outward ceremonies, placing all holiness in the observation of them. Verses 3 through 6. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did, when he was a-hungered, and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God, and did eat the shewbread which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Burkett notes, In these words, our Savior defends the actions of his disciples in plucking the ears of corn in their necessity by a double argument. One, from David's example, necessity freed him from fault in eating the consecrated bread which none but the priests might lawfully eat. For in cases of necessity, a ceremonial precept must give place to a moral duty. Works of mercy and necessity for preserving our lives and the better fitting us for our Sabbath services are certainly lawful on the Sabbath day. Two, from the example of the priests in the temple who upon the Sabbath do break the outward rest of the day by killing their sacrifices and many other acts of bodily labor which would be accounted Sabbath profanation, did not the service of the temple require and justify it. Now saith our Savior, if the temple service can justify labor on the Sabbath, I am greater than the temple, and my authority and service can justify what my disciples have done. From the whole we learn that acts of mercy, which tend to fit us for works of piety, not only may, but ought to be done on the Sabbath day. Verse 7. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. Burkett notes, Learn hence, the law of mercy is much more excellent than the law of ceremonies, and where both cannot be observed, the less must give place to the greater. God never intended that the ceremonies of his service in the first table should hinder the works of mercy prescribed in the second table. All God's commands are for man's good where both cannot be obeyed, he will have the moral duty performed and the ceremonial service omitted. He will have mercy and not sacrifice. That is, he will have mercy rather than sacrifice, where both cannot be had. Verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Burkett notes, as if Christ had said, I, who am Lord of the Sabbath, declare to you that I have a power to dispense with the observation of it, and it is my will that the Sabbath, which was appointed for man, should yield to man's safety and welfare. Christ, the Son of Man, was really the Son of God, and as such had power over the Sabbath, to dispense with it, yea, to abrogate and change it at his pleasure. Verses 9-12 through And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall be there among you, that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, he will not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much, then, is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Burkett notes, Here we have another dispute betwixt our Savior and the Pharisees concerning the Sabbath, whether it be a breach of that day mercifully to heal a person having a withered hand. Christ confutes them from their own practice, telling the Pharisees that they themselves judged it lawful to help out a sheep or an ox if fallen into a pit on that day. How much more ought the life of a man to be preferred? Here we may remark how inveterate a malice the Pharisees had against our Savior. When they could find no crime to charge him with, they blame him for working a merciful and miraculous cure upon the Sabbath day. When envy and malice, which are ever more quick-sighted, can find no occasion of quarrel, they will invent one against the innocent. Verses 13 through 16. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known. Burkett notes, Observe one, the merciful and miraculous cure wrought by our Savior's power upon the impotent man. He said unto him, Stretch out thy hand, and his hand was restored. Observe 2. What a contrary effect this cure had upon the Pharisees. Instead of convincing them, they conspire against him. Christ's enemies, when arguments fail, fall to violence. Observe 3. The prudent means which our Savior uses for his own preservation. He withdrew himself. Christ's example teaches his ministers their duty, to avoid the hands of prosecutors and prudently to preserve their lives unless when their sufferings are like to do more good than their lives. Observe 4. The great humility of Christ in concealing his own praise. He had no ambition that the fame of his miracles should be spread abroad, for he sought not his own glory, neither would he by the noise of his miracles enrage the Pharisees against him to take away his life, knowing that his time had not yet come, and that he had much work to do before his death.